Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Okay, I'm going to ask a question. How many of you have ever done anything that you felt guilty about? I'm going to ask the people who haven't put their hands up, what's going on? (laughs) I need to know your secret. Um, I don't know about you, but guilt can haunt us a little bit, can't it? And it can creep up up on you. And it can kind of lurk like this relentless ghost and uh, whispers in our ears when we're not we're not remember we're not we're not kind of thinking about things and it kind of reminds us of all the things that we've got wrong and kind of niggles us and kind of pokes at us but fear not there is hope and we're in our summer in the psalm series and today we're going to be looking at psalm 32 together So Psalm 32 was penned by none other than King David, who was said to be a man after God's own heart, and yet he was a man who experienced the heights of triumphs and the depths of moral failure. David was, his heart was once gripped by unconfessed sin. His his soul was gripped by guilt after his affair with Bathsheba and the subsequent orchestrated death of her husband Uriah. And this transgression like gnawed at his conscience, it sapped his strength, and it distanced him from the God that he loved. And then a turning point came when the prophet Nathan confronted David with his sin. And in humility and brokenness, David confessed his transgressions before God. And it's from repentance and this relief that followed that Psalm 32 was birthed. And it's, it's just a beautiful psalm and an incredible testament to the power of God's forgiveness. So let's read Psalm 32 together. Um, hopefully your words will be coming up, but if you want to turn to it on your phone or in, a, in your Bible, you're very welcome to. So it's Psalm 32. It says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin." Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place and will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. 
This is one of the seven penitential psalms. Um, there are seven psalms that concentrate on uh, confession, repentance, and forgiveness. And this is the second of the seven. And for those of you that want to know, the seven penitential psalms are Psalm 6, Psalm 32, 38, 51, 102, 130, and 143. Sounds a bit like bingo at the hub on a Monday. <laughs> we were doing that this Monday. I actually won. I, I, won, I, won, I won two lines on Monday. We're not competitive at all, by the way, in this church. Um, and so if you're, if you're in the room today, maybe somebody dragged you here and you're not used to going to church, you're not sure where you land with the whole Jesus thing, you're kind of exploring it and fleshing it out and you're already a little bit weirded out by the singing, um, we are so happy that you're here and you are free to wrestle however you want to wrestle. And then all of a sudden you realize, oh no, she's going to speak on sin and repentance and guilt. And you're probably thinking, see, I knew there was a reason that I didn't want to go to church just to be made feel bad about myself. Can I just ask you to give me a chance? So, and just, just don't switch off just yet. So let's dive in. In verses 3 and 4, it discusses the power of guilt. In fact, all of the penitential psalms, this is one of the strongest statements of the power of guilt. And then verses 1 and 2, we'll come to that secondly, because that shows us something about the power of repentance. And then lastly, we're going to take a step back and look at what the process of repentance is. Does that sound good? Yes, Viv. Good. So first of all, the power of guilt, verses 3 and 4. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. There's, a, there's like an indelibility about guilt, isn't there? You just can't get rid of it. it. You know, he talks about my groaning all day long, and guilt can just hang around with you, like a, a, just a low hum in the background all the time. You know, you could be walking along and something will trigger like a memory from the past, and suddenly those tapes are playing again. don't know whether anyone has experienced that before. But your conscience, in a very poignant way, continues to put, push your guilt up in front of you. No matter what you do, no matter what you try and do to change. And you can change environments, you can change people, you can change friendship, but your guilt is, is still there. It's still kind of like gnawing at you. I remember a situation when I was younger where I was doing something that I knew was wrong. And to be honest, it was like eating me up inside because I wasn't talking to anyone about it and it was all hidden. And I remember at that time reading these verses from Psalm 32 one day. And they, you know, sometimes you read the Bible and it just like hits you in the face. And these words from Psalm 32, they leapt out at me and hit me. And as I read this psalm, I knew that I just had to confess what I was doing to somebody. So I did that. I, ju I, I just confessed, and I didn't cover it up anymore. And although I had to then deal with the consequences of my sin, I just cannot tell you the relief that this act of confession had on me, had on my mind, had on my whole being physically as well. All of us deal with guilt, don't we, in our lives, and there's a lot of coping strategies that we use to, to deal with it, to cover it up. Tim Keller suggests that there are seven things that we do with our guilt. And I was really challenged when I read this. So are you ready for a bit of an ouch? Come on. So first one is blame shifting. It's not my fault. 
you know, it's because of my childhood, because of my mum. My mum did such and such. My friends made me do it. Extenuating circumstances. Blame shifting. And I know I can do this. I can make it out to be somebody else's fault rather than taking responsibility. It's the first one. Second one, define it away. So it's not really wrong. Justify your behavior away. Again, I can, I can do this. I can reframe all sorts of things to make them not seem quite as bad. Number three, anyone feeling the ouch yet? Um, number three, deaden yourself to it. You can medicate it. You can go shopping. You can get drunk. You can scroll for hours. In other words, you can do pleasurable things to distract yourself or to forget yourself away from guilt. Number four, criticize and gossip and run other people down. We're, we're so quick to tear other people down, aren't we? And, and I think if somebody else's faults are exposed, it actually makes us feel better about ourselves. It soothes us to think that other people are worse than us. It's, you know, everybody's sleeping around far more than I am. So, you know, everyone's breaking promises more than me. That's how you deal with it. Why do we like gossip? It's a way of dealing with our own guilt. Five, you try to achieve. You deal with your guilt by saying, look what I've achieved. And you try to prove to yourself that you're good and that you want to make yourself feel better. Absolutely rife in London. Number six, you overcompensate. Maybe financially or with your time or with other things. You know, you often see this with divorced couples who feel so guilty about breaking up their families that they spoil their children with gifts to cover their guilt. And none of these ways work. Blame shifting, defining it away, deadening yourself to it, criticizing others, overachieving, overcompensating. None of them work. And there's one more thing that doesn't work, and that's beating yourself up. And just say, like, I know I did wrong. I'm just going to make myself feel miserable. And you just want to live in that state. That doesn't work either. So here's the list. The menu, the um, takeaway menu today. Um, Which ones do you do to avoid your guilt? I've done all of these for sure. I think I can particularly be prone to a number two and a number three. Um, So why don't you just turn to your neighbour and say, which one do you do? What number on here do you like doing? Okay, now that you've bared your soul to your neighbor. Um, so these things don't work to appease our guilt. So what does work, Viv, I hear you ask? Um, well, it's the good old-fashioned word of repentance. So I want to take a look back at verses 1 and 2. Um, we read right at the beginning, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Let's also just skip to verse 5, and then look at it with verse 1. So the number 5 says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and did not cover up my iniquity. Back to verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. 
So verse 5 says, I did not cover up my sin. And verse 1 says, and God covered it. And that, if you want to understand the power of repentance, there it is. It's about covering. This is getting to the root of our problem. This is getting to the root of what guilt is all about. Do you remember the original story back in Genesis? If you, if you want a really good read, go and read Genesis 1, 2, and 3 again. It's just, it's, it's just brilliant. And when you get there, you'll see that Adam and Eve, every single night, they met God naked, uncovered, and it was always okay. And then one night, God shows up, and they dive into the bushes, and they hide. And God says, what's wrong? And Adam and Eve say, I'm, naked. I'm hiding because I'm naked. And I don't know why God didn't say this, but he could have said, but guys, every night you're naked. You're always naked. If you're hiding because you're naked, why haven't you hidden before? There's got to be something else going on. And here's what it is. When they sinned, they couldn't stand transparency. When Adam and Eve sinned, they couldn't take their nakedness. And nakedness is not being able to control what people see. Makeup doesn't help nakedness. Makeup helps the face. (laughs) Nakedness can't do much about fat. And your nakedness means that no one, means you have no control over what people see. People see all the way in. You've lost control. And until you sin, there's no problem with that. But why was it suddenly that Adam and Eve couldn't stand being looked at? They had to control what people saw. They had to hide. They had to cover up. Why? Because they decided to be lord of their own lives. Have you ever had a job that you felt totally unqualified for? You just don't know the stuff. You don't know enough about it. In, in my former life, I did a degree in sports science and leisure management. And I remember my first day working at Tooting Leisure Centre just down the road. Little 22-year-old me, um, feeling really nervous um, most people working there didn't have a degree, and so for some reason I was seen as the expert, whereas in reality I didn't have a clue. And I'm not sure actually a degree prepares you for the workplace at all, does it? Let's be honest. But I remember feeling a little bit scared. I felt like I was going to be found out, and I didn't want people looking over my shoulder. And you see, when you decide to be the Lord of your own life, when you decide to be your own God, you know in your heart of hearts you're not qualified for that job. You can feel like you're going to be found out any moment. The way that theologians put it, the reason that Adam and Eve hid in the bushes was because they had lost the clothing that they had before, which was their original righteousness. So what do, we, what do they mean by that? What do the theologians mean by that? Adam and Eve didn't mind what people saw, what God saw, what each other saw, because originally they were clothed with moral beauty. They, were be- they knew they were beautiful in every way, and they didn't mind being seen. But the minute they lost that righteousness, they couldn't stand being seen. And so what did they do? They began to cover. And one of the most profound things in the Bible is to understand yourself in the light of Genesis 3. Look at your life. Why are some of us perfectionists? Why are some of us workaholics? Why are some of us so worried about our bodies? Why are so many of us actually spending so many time doing all the things that we've talked about, the blame shifting, the running people down? We're covering. We're covering our nakedness. We're trying to patch up what everybody else sees, including ourselves. And God says to Adam and Eve, if you cover yourself, I'll never be able to cover you. 
They tried to cover themselves with fig leaves, which I can't imagine was particularly effective. <laughs> but God says, if you're willing to uncover yourself, if you're willing to be naked to me again, if you're willing to show me your sin and admit it and make no excuses, then I can cover you. He clothed them in animal skin, which I imagine was far more effective than the fig leaves. I can't cover you if you try and cover yourself. And we can look at our whole lives and understand the strategies that we've tried to use to to put together fig leaves that cover that sense of lost righteousness. And God says, I can only give it back to you if you admit you don't have it at all. Only if you completely uncover do I cover you. And in repenting, I realize that I'm absolutely helpless. But his promise is then to cover us. I love this from Isaiah 61. It says, I rejoice for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. The, the covering that God gives us, it's not a cover-up. It's not like a Boris COVID cover-up. He's not... <laughs> political statement. Um, he's not just saying, I'm going to cover up your sins and just pretend they don't exist. He doesn't even count them to you anymore. He accounts them somewhere else. He sends them somewhere else. To who? To Jesus, who was clothed, in a sense, with our sin. He was stripped naked. His garments were removed. He was made naked so that we could be clothed. This gift of forgiveness is unique to the Christian faith. And I think this gift is what the world is longing for, even though it doesn't know it. The effects of guilt on us as humans are huge, psychologically, physiologically. No amount of self-help can erase the guilt. It's well documented and researched, the effect that guilt can have on your body. I know when I've prayed for people for healing, that forgiveness is often where I start because people can literally be crippled through guilt. I remember a lady who traveled across London to come to healing on the streets, um, and she had scoliosis. And I just felt to ask her, was there anything that she needed forgiveness for? And she said, yes. And we were able to lead her in a prayer of repentance. And the pain left her body. The Hebrew word here for in, in verse 1 for forgiven means lifted off. Sin's guilt is a burden that must be lifted off our souls. And this is the good news of the gospel. This is what completely sets apart Christianity from any other religion. We can be totally forgiven. Totally. The fact that Jesus died to take the punishment for our sins is, is, is mind-blowingly good news. The cleansing blood of Jesus is available to everybody, but it doesn't automatically mean that it covers you. While Jesus paid a great price for our freedom, walking in it requires something from us. The Bible says in 1 John 1, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Our sins are forgiven and cleansed only when we acknowledge them. That's all we need to do. Only when we uncover them can we be forgiven and cleansed. So this is the first step. And it's, it's so simple, but it's not necessarily easy. 
And I think many Christians walk around with guilt just because they haven't confessed their sin. They're too worried about bringing it into the light. And yet that's the whole point of the gospel. And it's a bit like the warning light on your car when um, the, the oil is like running low and the oil light is on. And if you ignore it, you're in danger of breaking down or potentially even blowing up. And there's such an easy way of rectifying it, isn't it? You just put oil in the car. And I, I'm not saying that confession is simple, but I am saying, um, well, no, I am saying it's simple. I'm not saying it's easy. And, it, you, you know, you still have to deal with the consequences. When you, if you mess up, you still have to deal with the consequences of what you've done wrong. But the guilt, the guilt that weighs you down, that's the part that completely go. It can completely go. And I'm telling you, it's so freeing. When I decided to tell somebody what was going on, I felt like such a weight had been lifted off me. And the knowledge that God had forgiven me is just incredible. And so repentance is not beating yourself up and saying, you know, I will change, I will change, I promise, I promise. It goes much more like this in verse 2. It says, no deceit. And the first thing is just be honest. No more deception. No more deceiving yourself. No more deceiving everybody else. No more deceiving God. You, you might have heard Steve or me say before, I'd rather the ugly truth than your pretty lies. It's so true. Like, let's bring the stuff into the light that we're prone to hide. Because when it's in the light, you can actually deal with it. Make sure you really uncover so that God can cover you. And secondly, if you want to really repent, it's not just enough to say I did something wrong. You have to kind of ask yourself, why, why did I do this? What made me do this? And the answer is not just simply that I broke a rule, but it's like I'm trying to cover my nakedness. I'm hiding in something. I'm trying to close myself with something. And only he can be my hiding place. Verse 7 says, You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. So only he can be my clothing. Only he can cover my nakedness. Only he can make me beautiful again. If If you've lied, for example, don't say... Oh, Lord, I'm so sorry I lied. Please help me. But why did you lie? You lied because something else is your hiding place. And I don't know what it is. Who knows? You don't have to tell me. But it's probably something, it's a way for you to clothe yourself. And it's possible for people to repent but actually try to cover themselves, creating fig leaves by beating themselves up. You know, I want to show you how miserable I am for my sin. And in this sense, you're trying to cover yourself up. You're trying to cover yourself instead of letting God cover you. And we have to repent of our efforts to create our own righteousness instead of relying on what Jesus has done for us. And the re- that's, that's almost the reason. What's the, what's the sin underneath all the sin? It's to repent against sinning against the grace of Jesus, the love of Jesus, repenting for not actually loving him enough. Verse 10 talks about his unfailing love. That's what we're called to hide in. And therefore, what you've really got to do is not just uncover your sin by repenting for the action, but you've got to hide in him. I have to say, where have I been hiding? Because it's probably not in you or I wouldn't have done that. And if you rest enough in his unfailing love, you will find yourself in repentance going to him. Repentance is like going back to your roots and saying, 
That's the reason why I have a relationship with God. Not my performance, his performance. Not my promises, his promises. Not my past, his past. Not my record, his record. And therefore you say, I'm sorry for what I've done to the one who loves me. And the person who understands the gospel is just someone who repents quickly, repents joyfully, repents immediately, repents constantly. (laughs) I heard a phrase the other day which was, repentance is the believer's best friend. And I love that because repentance just positions us to receive more of Jesus. Repentance opens our eyes to see Jesus more. God, would you teach us to repent quickly, to repent joyfully, to repent, to humble ourselves, to bring things into the light quickly. And so just as we come down to land, as we reflect on David's journey through this psalm, we're just reminded that we're all on this similar pilgrimage, aren't we? We stumble, we falter, we fall, we fail. And yet as we fall, there are really safe arms to fall into. And for me, it's been the story of my life that God covers me. He covers me. The grace that brought David from the depths of guilt to the heights of, despair, of, heights of praise. It's the same grace that stands ready to cover us. Why don't we pray together? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.